0: Well, uh, here we are, friends, two weeks in to another new year. and I wonder how many of us are kind of feeling like you know i I think I've been here before uh, i think i've I've seen this episode already, right? Um, I can remember back you know to the beginning of last year, the january twenty twenty one where probably so many of us had the feeling that there was no way that twenty twenty one could be in any way somehow as complicated or challenging or just plain as hard as 2020. And yet we all know uh, what we have lived through and what we are living through here and now. But friends, here's the good news. As Jeff Lockyer preached last Sunday when we really kicked off the start of this year, is that regardless of our circumstances or regardless of how new or not new this year feels so far, is the fact that Jesus still wants to do something new in us. And we firmly believe that. And for for the rest of the month of January, for today and for the next three weeks, uh, the new thing that we want to talk about that I think Jesus wants to do deeply in us is about who we are in our relationships and how we relate to others. Because I'm going to guess that for some of us, uh, over the last couple of years, we've maybe had a relationship or two that's gotten a little bit wobbly right? Our relationships have been strained and pushed to the test. And in some cases, some have fallen apart altogether. And here's the thing. I think Jesus wants to, and is capable of doing something in us that that wouldn't just sort of tweak or tinker with, or just kind of slightly improve our relationships this year, make them a little better than they were last year, or, or have a few more of them survive the pandemic. No, I think what Jesus could do has the power to transform who we are in relationships, not just in our relationships, not just to make us a little bit better for 2022, but to transform our relationships for 20 years from now. And that's uh, by looking at what it could mean for us to learn to love always in our relationships. That's what we're talking about this month. What does it mean to be people who love always. And the, the entire series is going to be anchored in, in one line uh, from one passage in the New Testament. Um, it's written by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church uh, in the, the first century, and it comes out of a passage that's probably uh, rather familiar to lots of us. You've maybe heard part of it recited at weddings or in poetry or in movies defining what love really is. It starts by saying love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy and then has this, this beautiful vision and description." But what we want to focus on is right where it ends that I I wonder might not be as familiar to us and certainly I don't think is fully grasped in defining what love always is and what love always does. And that's where it says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7 that love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, and love always perseveres. That is what we were talking about this month and inviting Jesus to transform who we are and how we love in all of our relationships. Now, a couple of sort of qualifiers to this this love always idea that sort of apply as a banner uh, to the whole series. First thing is when it comes to to what love is and how we think about love. Because I think when we hear a vision for love, like the one in 1 Corinthians 13, our first instinct is generally to sort of want to experience this love for ourselves, And it's not a bad instinct because I think God created us to encounter this kind of love. I think God wants to lavish this kind of love onto us. I think God wants our relationships to reciprocally and mutually express this love in them. And yet, when you look at the context that the Apostle Paul writes, this vision of love and what love always is and does to this church in the first century, what he's actually trying to do is correct some behaviors and ways of relating that started to become self-motivated and self-oriented, more interested in what they could get than what they could give, and they became void of love. So the kind of love we're talking about, we have to understand, is a love that equals a radical reorientation to the other. That this first prioritizes uh, what love I can give rather than what I can get, how I can extend it rather than simply embrace it for myself. So that's, that's, that's the definition of this love that we're looking at together. And secondly, we want to, want to learn to live this love always, at all times, in all circumstances, in all relationships. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. How do we do that? And yet, uh, there are times where that can be a bit complicated and need some discernment because what we don't mean is perpetuating relationships and situations that are toxic or unhealthy. What always does not equal is enablement or codependency or abuse. And we need wisdom and counsel to discern what love looks like in those situations. But if we can start to grasp these things, um, this love always together, I think if more of us can live it more of the time uh, than all of the time, we can all experience it together. So to start uh, for a few more minutes today, what I want to talk about is what I think it means for love to always protect, what love always protecting looks like. And in some ways, I think protecting someone else is kind of a a somewhat obvious idea of what it might mean to love them well. Uh, Think about it this way, that anytime you've experienced safety in a relationship, you felt safe, uh, I think you're experiencing a version of love. Anytime you have felt unsafe or threatened in a relationship, you're experiencing something other than love. So how do we be the kind of people that contribute to relationships where that's what we're creating always, exuding a love that always protects? And I think there's three dimensions that I want to talk about today, and that's that love always protects physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So I want to start by talking about what does it mean for love to always protect physically, first and foremost. This is number one. Again, I think uh, protecting someone else's physical well-being hopefully has sort of a common sense, even common courtesy, common love kind of mindset to it. You know, when we love someone, we don't want to see them physically hurt or wounded. Think of a parent with a child, you know, teaching them to ride a bike, how they they run alongside, watching over, holding the seat, not wanting them to fall and scrape themselves unnecessarily. Or, or an elderly grandparent or neighbor or someone with a disability that we want to support and help you know, getting up a staircase because we don't want to see them fall or get hurt. Someone on the side of the road, that we want to stop and help, see if they're okay, or at least steer out of the way to make sure other people aren't getting hurt. It's kind of a, a basic idea of love. And yet, when I think about when this sort of radical reorientation to the other gets pushed to the test, I think about how what we've lived through in the COVID pandemic these past couple of years has put the protection of someone else's physical well-being ahead of our own sort of front and center. And you think about, I know there's different um, feelings and nuance and choices and convictions in all of this, but you think about some of just the the basic sort of health measures we've been invited into to seek to protect others of mask wearing and maintaining distance, um, you know, subjecting ourselves to either regular testing or vaccination, even participating here in online services for certain stints and seasons. Friends, if I'm honest, these are things I don't prefer. I don't really like having to do. And if this was all about me, I'm not sure if I would do any of them. But in what we're living through, when it comes to love always protecting physically, we've been confronted with an opportunity to continually radically reorient ourselves to others by the degree to which we can choose with every decision to prioritize someone else's physical safety Over our own. And I think this love always protecting physically goes a step further when you think about, again, in the current situations of our essential workers or frontline responders, people in healthcare, when someone will actually put themselves in harm's way for the sake of someone else's physical well being, it is a great act of love. And when Paul says that love always protects, what he means is that there are few acts that will show you more what love really is than when someone sets aside either their own preferences or even their own physical well-being to a degree for the sake of someone else. I can remember uh, when I was playing travel hockey as a teenager, and when I entered into the body contact years, as I was kind of one of the smaller guys, I often felt like my own physical well-being was at risk. Uh, but over time, I, I kind of ended up having this unspoken arrangement with one of my buddies who played on my line named Trevor, uh, who was a little stockier than I was, and Franco was a better hockey player than I was. And, and the agreement that we never talked about but kind of emerged was that I would go into the corners and fight for the puck and try to dig it out of the corner to get it to him in front of the net where he scored many goals. But here's the thing. If the battle in the corner ever became more than I could handle, that Trevor would kind of come to my rescue. And I can remember this one specific time, kind of can picture it as clear as day, where I was in the corner working for the puck and a guy who was bigger than me came in and kind of hit me and knocked me down and and started almost trying to pick a fight with me. And before I could even, even be afraid of the fight that I didn't want to get into, Trevor came in with a body check of his own, knocked this guy down and basically stood over him and said, if you mess with him, you're going to mess with me. And as someone seeking to grow in the peacemaking way of Jesus, I am not looking to necessarily condone or encourage physical force or violence, even even in sports. But here's the thing. There is something powerful about the people in our lives who say, if it's going to be a mess for you, then it's going to be a mess for me because I am here to protect you. So who in your world is at risk physically that you can learn to love more by protecting? Who's getting beat up in the corners of life and you can come in uh, to help guard and protect them? And are we willing to consistently set aside our own preferences, even at times putting ourselves in harm's way in order to only ever always offer a love that always protects the physical well-being of someone else? I think that's what it means for, for love to always protect physically. Now, number two, love always protects emotionally. And I think while well, physical well-being and physical protection, again, is hopefully sort of common sense at some level and obvious, um, even in the midst of, of a global pandemic, I think at times uh, our thoughts, our words, and our actions towards other, others have a, created a way greater risk for someone's emotional well-being, especially in times of conflict. Something that you know we is relevant and prevalent these days, and may, sometimes too often more damaging. Um, I think how we behave when someone else's emotions are vulnerable and at stake, maybe especially in conflict, is a critical measure of how well we are extending a love that always protects emotionally. Proverbs four twenty three says this. It says, "Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do." flows from it. The wisdom writer is basically saying, you know, to get by in the world well, you need to look after and, and guard and protect your heart uh, above all. Um, and uh, it's, it's the, the place that all of life affects and is affected by all of life. And so you need to tend to it, care for it well. And if that's the sort of personal wisdom of the Proverbs, when I think about understanding and applying the Apostle Paul's radical reorientation to the other, of a love that always protects. I think it means that we're called to also, above all else, protect and guard someone else's heart like it's our own. That loving always means relentlessly defending the emotions and feelings of another person, just like they're yours, guarding someone else's heart. I can think of a a sort of a a playground conflict of when I was in, uh, it was either grade six or seven that kind of brought some of this to light for me. There was a new kid that had just come to our school. His name was Justin. And it was his first week at the school and he was kind of trying to find his way and struggling a little bit to fit in and figure out, you know, who he could connect and be friends with. And at recess time, you know, he's trying to sort of interact with our friendship circle. And I wasn't really at the center of this, but I had overheard that one of my buddies had brought uh, some paintballs for a paintball gun to school in a Ziploc bag. Now, if you're unfamiliar with paintballs, if you're just looking at them, they could easily be mistaken for something like marbles or maybe even a gumball. And I caught wind that someone was thinking of offering one of these paintballs, suggesting they were gumballs to Justin to see what would happen. As the crowd formed, um, the offer was made, and Justin reached in and he grabbed one of the paintballs. He was being told it was a gumball. And then to my surprise, as I was just kind of standing nearby, he suddenly looked at me and he said, Is there anything wrong with these? And that moment kind of froze for me because I realized I had a choice of whose heart I was gonna guard and protect. (laughs) Either first and foremost, my own, protecting my reputation and loyalty to my friends and their practical joking, or by lovingly intervening and protecting this new kid from an awful taste and even worse embarrassment. Before I gave it any more thought, I suddenly heard myself say, I don't know. And Justin ate the paintball and ran off in tears. Friends, in that moment, I knew I had done something other than love. So what about in your relationships? Whose emotional well-being is at stake right now? What about the, the conflicts you're experiencing, whether in family or with friends, in your marriage, with your kids, in the church community? And are you only ever always seeking to guard the other person's heart like your own? If you're involved in a conflict, are you seeking to go to the other person uh, graciously and sensitively, humbly, wanting to talk together to seek to resolve it? Or are you going to others to talk about, you know, venting to them, gossiping, weaving stories in your head that uh, alter their reputation in your mind and the minds of others? Are you seeing people being treated unfairly that put their emotions at risk, but you're kind of choosing to, to ignore, um, to avoid, to rationalize in order to not put your own feelings and experience at risk? Friends, how about how we engage on social media? And I think this is a huge one when it comes to the emotional well-being of others. I think if the, the church could do a love always protects audit on its, in its behavior on social media, it could be world-changing. When it comes to your posts and your likes, are you exclusively and unmistakably only trying to build others up to offer encouragement and emotional strength? Or does the way you post and even how you like tend to just prop up your own opinions, maybe creating, dividing walls or tearing others down, uh, if not directly with not so subtle hints about how you feel about them and their policies and their decisions? Friends, are we striving to be constantly attentive to our thoughts and our words and our deeds affect the hearts of others, even when it means putting ourself, maybe our own heart at risk and, or at least setting aside things we'd rather think, say, or do. I think if we want to experience love always, that would transform our relationships, one of the commitments we need to make is to relentlessly guard the hearts of others like they're our own. So we can always protect the emotional well-being of someone else. So I think love always protects physically. Love always protects emotionally. And finally, love always protects spiritually. That love always looks out for and protects the spiritual well-being of someone else. And I think this one has a lot of layers to it. And frankly, these are all woven together. But I I think that uh, someone's spiritual well-being and faith is often most at risk in times of crisis. Again, not hard for us to imagine these days. Because think about it, when bad or scary or painful things happen in our lives, faith often becomes fragile. And a love that always protects, I believe, actually has the power and potential to help people experience the loving presence of God, the protecting love of God At times when for them, God may seem hardest to find. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, to the same church, he starts it this way. He says, praise be to the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort others in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Friends, a love that always protects when someone else is going through a crisis is a love that always shows up. It's a love that always leans in rather than distances. It's a love that drops off a meal, goes to the visitation, visits in the hospital, sends an encouraging word, offers a prayer. It's a love that listens. It's a love that seeks to give space when necessary. a love that avoids judgment or offering pat answers. It's a love that comforts in crisis in a way that actually extends the comforting and protecting love of God. And this is true, not just in the external crises of our world, things that happen to us, but in the internal crises that can come from deep within. I found myself sitting down with with quite a few people recently who would describe feeling some sort of internal faith crisis that they're experiencing, but often feeling like they don't have safe or vulnerable places to share that. And I'm learning Uh, against my own self-oriented impulses that would be to sort of give answers or to tell them how I see things and therefore sort of how they should see things or to try to quickly and heroically fix their problems because that's something that would make me feel more spiritual and feel better in my spiritual well-being. I'm learning that often love requires listening more than talking, asking more than telling, waiting more than rushing, and praying more than pressuring. I had a friend uh, recently come to me with um, essentially an internal spiritual crisis that they were feeling and facing. It was uh, wrestling with how to respond to their child who had recently sort of come out with some questions about their identity and sexuality. And they were asking me kind of what, what they thought the right, what I thought the right thing to do spiritually was. And all I could say as a starting point was for them to let their child know that they and God love them, period. And then that they would journey and walk and figure out the rest together. And you see what happens in a situation like that when someone's faith or spiritual life is in a delicate place, that a love that always protects spiritually absorbs the risk of the other person absorbs the risk that they're facing. In this case, absorbing the risk of any question of acceptance, absorbing the risk of the unknown and and, and any feelings of confusion, absorbing the risk of the faith journey that would follow, absorbing the risk of other people's perspectives and opinions and competing values and timelines. Because I think a love that always protects spiritually absorbs the risk and participates in the journey, especially in the delicate faith journeys of others in times of external or internal crisis. So where in your life is there somebody who needs you to lovingly protect them by participating in and absorbing the risk they're feeling in their faith? You know, who's getting beat up spiritually in the the corners of their faith? whose heart and faith needs you to guard it like it's your own not by controlling or manipulating or even sheltering but but by coming alongside tenderly nurturing and walking with with patience with grace humility friends i think loving always physically emotionally and spiritually i think this could not just tweak or tinker with or sort of slightly make new or improve our relationships for 2022. But I think if we could live in this to a greater degree, it could transform who we are in our relationships 20 years from now. And the good news that kind of makes this all possible is that this love is the love that God has only ever always shown to us. By physically coming into the world in the person of Jesus and physically absorbing the risk of the cross for our sake, by emotionally healing us, by reconciling our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with others. And by protecting us spiritually, by giving us His Holy Spirit, nurturing us, comforting us, advocating for us, leading us in to God's truth. One more word from the Apostle Paul in that second letter to this Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Christ's love has moved me to such extremes that it's God's love through Christ that is causing me to say all this, do all this, want to live all this, see this worked out in community. Because God's love has the first and last word in everything we do. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him. And then he has called us to settle our relationships with each other. Where do you have a relationship, some relationships that need settling or resettling these days? Because whether two weeks in, this year feels new or not that new, I firmly believe this is a new opportunity, a new chance for Jesus to do a new thing in us by settling and resettling our relationships on love. Settling our relationships on learning to love always settling our relationships on a love that always protects the same way that God has always loved and protected us. That is my prayer for you. That is my prayer for your relationships. That is my prayer for our community. And throughout this series, uh, we want to catch some glimpses of some examples, some illustrations, some stories of how real people in our community are seeking to live out this kind of love together. In this case, learning what it means to live out a love that always protects, being people that love always in the same way God has always loved us. So in that spirit, I invite you to check out uh, Elaine and Linda and Diane's story of friendship. Check it out. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm
1: Chris, and, and I get the privilege of introducing you to a couple of really cool folks in our church family. we got uh, Elaine Orr and Linda Fast with us this morning. And unfortunately, uh, the other person in this friendship, Diane Catrelli, is not able to be with us because she lives in a senior's home and is on lockdown right now but uh, these two ladies got connected with Diane through uh, an initiative that we're trying here at Southridge called Community Connect. We're trying to break down some barriers uh, between our church family and folks who might've connected initially with our church family through the shelter ministry. And uh, they're gonna talk about their friendship with Diane and most specifically about how love always protects. So uh, here we go. Diane can't be with us this morning because she's in lockdown. Otherwise, it would be the three of you having this, conversa- yeah, this conversation together. So, cheers to Diane.
2: Hi, Diane. <laughs> but tell,
1: tell us a little bit about uh, Diane's situation and where she lives and, and so on.
2: Diane lives in extended care and until we were hooked up with her, she hadn't had
3: much social interaction or left the home for two years. She had mobility issues, so it's not like we can just stick her in a car and go somewhere. We have to arrange for transportation for her, and that becomes an issue. And our first outing with her was a shopping
2: trip, and it was oh. it was disastrous, wasn't it? The transportation was just disastrous, but she was having the time of her life yeah. because she, she was shopping it. at Walmart. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so as you got to know Diane, what did you start to realize were some of the barriers for her uh, connecting with people?
2: So it was the transportation. She doesn't have a phone. So as soon as we got that straightened out, things started to go
3: smoother. We got her out on a regular basis, on a mm-hmm. weekly basis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Every other Sunday was church, and every, in between, every other one was ladies' group here at the church.
1: And just, uh, Linda, tell us how, uh, how the transportation actually works. What, what actually goes on? Well, out?
3: she has it on her phone, Right. so she has to phone them two weeks, two days prior to the occasion that we want her to come out it's always a little bit complicated there's no sometimes there's no um time just to sit and chat with her it's always boom boom and we'd like to be able to sit more with her
2: um it's really good for her to get back with her own people Mm -hmm. like these are Mm -hmm. her people she hasn't been around anyone for a long time it's very social for her and she's quite social you know she's funny as
3: heck
1: (laughs) how are things in the current climate changing for how you can be there for for her and, and visit with her.
3: Well, we can't really because extended care is in lockdown. So we do have phone calls that we're arranging that we can sit and chat with her.
1: So she doesn't have her own phone? No. no. Is that that's something that you guys are trying to maybe figure out a little bit too?
2: Yeah, exactly. I just but bought I'm myself not... a new phone yesterday, yeah. so I'm gonna see what we can do with my old phone for her. Yeah, I'm not techie, so I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing, right?
1: What's hard? about growing in this kind of love that wants to protect other people and look out for other people.
2: Well, any of the difficulties we discussed, right, first it was getting her out of the home, transportation, things like that, but um, I don't think it's hard.
3: We just kind of work <laughs> through it, you know? You just know? kind of figure out what we can do, like that, that barbecue we had, and we got so frustrated because she was sitting there waiting, waiting at the home for us to come pick her up or the bus to come pick her up, and they didn't come pick her up. We got so frustrated. I took two plates of food because her and her girlfriend were coming, and I just drove over there because this yes. the only five minutes away from here. Yes. And brought them food to make it. That less was Thanksgiving. Th- Thank- no, I thought it was barbecue. Oh, that was
2: the barbecue. Not Thanksgiving we the- did. Yeah. Do.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> she said to me that she's she feels better now that she's starting to get out and come around because she was getting very depressed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which rightfully so. Who wouldn't? I don't have grandparents, I don't have parents, and she's becoming like that type of person for me. Um, I really enjoy being around her. It's a lot of fun, we have a lot of fun together. But the love that I'm getting back is just phenomenal. It's just phenomenal, and it's the three of us, really.
1: Well, I just wanna thank uh, Elaine and Linda and in absentia Diane for allowing us to share their story and the way that God has brought them together in a friendship that is hoping to protect well. And uh, I hope that other people out there will consider how they could engage in a love that always protects. Have a great day.